in the past, the Fed has eased interest rates as we headed into recession. But since inflation is the primary concern this time around, I don't think they're going to back off on rates until there's signs that inflation is under control. Welcome to Views from the Desk, a special edition of the BMO ETFs podcast. In these timely episodes, we provide the latest investment news and expert commentary on the markets, the economy, and investing. Brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management. With interest rates rising and persistent high inflation, is a recession inevitable or is now the time to buy? In today's episode, portfolio managers Alfred Lee and Chris McKinney, along with your host Kevin Prince, interpret the cautionary signs and discuss whether equity markets may have bottomed out, the challenges of trying to time the market, where to find value now, and strategies for investors with lower risk tolerance. Before we hear from the team, please consider subscribing to Views from the Desk on your preferred podcast platform. And for many more ETF insights and resources, visit the new and improved Canadian ETF dashboard at bmoetfs.ca. Thanks again for joining us for Views from the Desk. This is Kevin Prince from BMO Exchange Traded Funds. And each week we touch base on various market conditions and give you some insights towards the overall market. With me today, I have Alfred Lee and Chris McCaney, Portfolio Managers on the ETF team. Gentlemen, thanks for joining me again today. Thanks, Kevin. Thanks, Kevin. Good morning. Yeah, good morning. Well, we're certainly seeing the futures looking a little better today. That's a good thing. But, of course, we see the inflation report coming out very soon. And we've also seen that the S&P uh, closed below 4,100. And that takes us back to those levels of May 2021. And one thing that we know, know is that markets are made by bringing together kind of different views coming together. So what I thought we'd do today is let's discuss and potentially debate kind of the two prevailing views and actions that one can take. So from the two views, kind of thought processes around are the markets oversold? And of course, on the other side, are we heading towards a recession? So gentlemen, let's get into it today. I'm gonna to start off with, um, maybe we'll start off with more of the recession view. And uh, Alfred, I can come to you on this. What are some of the uh, things you're looking at to draw clearer signs of a potential recession coming down? And part of that too is also, what are the, those things you're waiting for clear signs and then specifically what would you do to put some short-term money to work in that market if you're waiting for some clearer signs alfred take it away please yeah you know that's a good question i think you know if you are looking for some kind of a crystal ball to, to see if we're heading into recession very difficult at this point there's definitely some you know cautionary signs out there for sure i mean you know when you look at the inversion of the u.s yield curve a month ago i think that was a pretty ominous sign um, I think that's something that the market has essentially brushed off to a degree, um, but I think it's something that they shouldn't be forgetting about. Um, even though it lasted only a few days, I, I, I don't think we're necessarily out of the woods yet. So when you look at the spread between the tens and the twos in the U.S., it is trending up right now, which is a good sign. So we're about you know 40 basis point premium in terms of that term spread right now. Um, but you know, I, I, as I mentioned, I don't think we're necessarily out of the woods yet. I think if the Fed continues to hike very aggressively, there is a potential for the yield curve to uh, invert again. The last quarterly GDP print out of the U.S., I think that's a cautionary indicator as well. I know they chalked it up to a bunch of one-time items, 
But, you know, if supply chains remain, you know, bottlenecks and as we continue to hike rates, I don't think that's going to stimulate the economy. So it is the potential that the next quarterly GDP print may not come out as negative, but it may be lower than expectations, which I don't think will be a good sign. Uh, one thing I will note, however, is that if you, you know, if we continue to see a sell-off, um, you know, this market cycle or this economic cycle is going to be, it's going to be very different than, you know, what we saw in 2008 and 2020. The main difference here is that, you know, back in 2008 and 2020, the Fed was very willing to ease interest rates and implement QE. This time around, given that the primary concern is inflation, um, they're going to, you know, they're not going to be able to, to do the same thing as obviously if they ease interest rates and implement QE without inflation being under control, that's going to further aggravate uh, inflation. So I think that's going to be very different this time around. Uh, you know, you mentioned, you know, support in the S&P 500. Just looking at it right now, um, supports around that 4,000 level, which we are trading around that level at this point. You know, I wish I could tell investors and our listeners that, you know, if it broke below that line, that would be a clear indicator to move into cash. But I don't think it's, you know, necessarily that simple at this point. Um, I think as long as there is inflation, I think the Fed is going to remain hawkish. Um, I think, you know, trying to time the market is going to be extremely difficult, however. Um, so I think the proper way to play it, um, and I know this is taking the easy way out, um, is sticking to your asset allocation mix. Um, I think that's the proper way to play it. Over the long term, um, your asset allocation mix is going to determine, you know, the, the, your long-term returns. But, you know, within your equity mix and in your asset allocation mix, you could definitely make a case towards, you know, tilting towards factors that have done well in inflationary and even stagflationary environments. So things like low vol, dividends, qualities. I think I think those are all, you know, factors that you could definitely tilt towards. So ZLU to, um, in terms of low vol, ZDY in terms of dividends, ZUQ in terms of quality. I think those are all, you know, good tilts to make in, in the equity side of your portfolio. On the fixed income side, you could definitely shorten up duration. That that tends to be the main concern, which is inflation and rising rates. So things like ZSB, which is our short-term uh, bond ETF, ZCS, which is our short corporate, and even ZBI, which is our recently launched uh, Canadian bank income ETF. So again, the main point I would make is I wouldn't try to get too cute to try to time this market. You know, don't try to time and move into cash. Studies have repeatedly shown that thing invested you know, your best course of action. So you know, will the market continue to drop? Very possible, but I think if you're looking three to five years out, the likelihood is that this is a potential buying opportunity. So rather than cashing out, I would invest, you know, I would recommend investors to, you know, instead start slowly picking away at assets that are trading at a fun, fundamental attractive value at this point. Yeah, thanks for that, Alfred. Now, let's say somebody actually is looking for a place to park right now because they have clients and investors out there kind of a little nervous. What's your thoughts in around that? If they do really want to move into cash, I think ZSP is a good option. But as I mentioned before, you know, short duration product, ZBI, I think it's a good way to play the market. It's a short duration product. You're getting protection against rising interest rates. And I think you, if you look at some of the assets in the portfolio, uh, they are trading you know, at fundamental discounts. Um, for example, the bonds, some of the bonds are trading below par value. Um, if you look at the preferred shares in the portfolio, um, most of the banks are expected to be called uh, within the next three to four years. So they're trading below, you know, par value. So that's a good way to play it. Um, if you did have to move into cash, you know, things like ZST are good ways to play it. 
Um, but again, you know, over the long haul, um, I think staying invested is, is the best course of action. Thanks for that, Alfred. I, I think you're, uh, you're right. There's lots of sentiment out there, lots of indicators out there, lots of research about staying invested, of course. Would you like to hear more from BMO Global Asset Management's team of investment experts? Check out the BMO Market Insights podcast. These timely, client-friendly episodes deliver the latest news and commentary on the markets, the economy, and investing, with a focus on exchange-traded funds. Available now at bmoetfs.ca, that's bmoetfs.ca, or on your favorite podcast platform. Before I go into the oversold uh, conversation, let me just save a little bit of um, your recession review, because another thing we, we've heard a lot in the media these this time of the year is that old messaging of sell in May and go away. And Chris, let me come to you on this one if I can. Like, what's your thoughts about this year for this kind of trade? And how would you implement that for that matter? Sure. And, you know, there's, there's probably a couple of different levels that, that you can look at here with this with this thing. And, you know, as you say, the sell in May and go away adage is something that's been around in markets for a long time. And really what, what that refers to is, is selling your portfolio in May and then buying it back in November. And, you know, typically uh, the long-term seasonals uh, on the U.S. stock market show that performance between November and April uh, tends to be much stronger than what is exhibited May through October. And so by by making that rotation, you, you've come out ahead somewhat. Um, and so, you know, what I would what I would do first of all is I would I would maybe echo Alfred's comments that you know timing the market is obviously extremely hard, um, and any strategy that that suggests you should completely leave the market for for six months at a time um, is is probably a little bit risky, right? And you know, again, if you do believe in the seasonal factors and the long term seasonals of it, um, and you want to implement that sort of strategy, maybe it's better to tilt your portfolio. Um, in, a, in a couple of different directions rather than completely selling out and, and then buying back in October or November. You know, largely that strategy um, has, has gotten its, its sort of, you know, back-tested data from the fact that when we see large market crashes, you know, recently, in, in recent years, we've seen that happen in, in September and October. And so September in particular does tend to be probably one of the weaker months uh, in terms of seasonals for the market. Um, and so by, you know, selling in May and, and not coming back for the fall, you're, you're going to miss that. However, you know, the summer months like June and July in particular tend to be very strong seasonally. So again, if you, if you do believe in the seasonals, um, I would suggest you probably want to stay invested through the summer. Um, and interestingly, you know, another month that tends to be very strong seasonally is April. And of course, this year, April, you know, the U S market was down about 9%. So, um, obviously seasonal, um, Seasonals don't work every single year, and if you if you sort of tilt your entire portfolio towards that, um, you know you could get burned as, as investors might have this year if they were, um, you know, over invested or, or fully invested through through April with a significant sell off. So, again, we would probably suggest for investors if they want to implement this strategy to maybe tilt a little bit of your portfolio in one direction or another. Um, and you know, we've actually written up one way to do this a few years ago is through the um, consumer discretionary sector and the consumer staple sector. So rotating in between those two sectors. So if you imagine, you know, going back to what Alfred said, you know, staying true to that asset allocation is really what you want to do. 
Um, so if you can imagine the majority of your portfolio invested the way you want it to be in equities and in fixed income and maintaining that exposure, you know, if you wanted to take a little bit of risk off the table, um, you know, allocate a small portion of that equity exposure of that portfolio into the consumer staple sector. Consumer staples companies are, uh, you know, things like Loblaws, Procter & Gamble, Nestle, Coca-Cola, um, you know, Diageo and Unilever. These, these sort of companies that make goods and services that consumers need day in and day out. Um, so somewhat recession-proof is, is kind of what we call these sort of stocks in this, this sort of sector. Um, and so when markets slow or when economies slow down and uh, consumer spending slows down, uh, this area isn't really uh, hit as much. And so if you are expecting a slowdown or a recession, um, but want to stay invested as we're suggesting you do, um, you know, maybe tilt towards that consumer staple sector is one way to do it. Conversely, you know, when you want to go a little bit more aggressive and more pro-growth, you would take that allocation to staples and move it into the consumer discretionary sector. And so this um, provides exposure to companies like Home Depot, Amazon, uh, Toyota, so, you know, the car companies, Walt Disney, the travel companies, Nike, uh, things like that. So these are things that consumers will spend on when they have a lot of cash, when they have a lot of disposable income, when the economy is growing very, very fast. Um, and so you want exposure to that higher growth um, area and you'll be able to capture that through the discretionary sector. And so, you know, that's something that, again, you know, we've back-tested over the years and actually does work out well, um, tilting between that uh, staples and discretionary exposure. But again, you know, seasonal factors, they don't work every single year. And, and uh, you know, even in the best-case scenario, probably you only have a hit rate of 60 to 70%. Um, and so, you know, I think, you know, again, going back to Alfred's comments of staying invested is really um, ideally what you want to do over the long term. It's that asset allocation that's going to drive your overall performance. Uh, and really, investors should think about staying in the market, but tilting a little bit of their portfolio one way or the other, based on if they think that recession is coming, you know, maybe taking a little bit more of a conservative approach. Gentlemen, thanks for that. And I hear your message on staying invested. So let's let's flip gears here for a second. And let's talk a little bit about, you know, is the market oversold? And let me come back to you, Alfred, if I can. And let's talk about, you know, what are some of the things you're looking at to draw clearer signs that the market is oversold? Then give us some thoughts on, you know, ideas in that space, please, both equities and fixed income. Sure. Very similar to, you know, whether we're heading into recession. It's very hard to call a market bottom at this point. You know, some of the things that I'm looking at is CPI. Obviously, you know, CPI, I think, is going to be one of the key indicators that is going to determine whether, you know, the Fed needs to, you know, get increasingly hawkish or become less hawkish. So I think a deceleration of the CPI would be a good sign for the equity market. You know, in the past, as I mentioned, you know, the Fed has eased interest rates as we headed into recession. But since inflation is the primary concern this time around, I don't think um, they're going to back off on rates until there's signs that inflation is under control. Um, so we really need that moderation of inflation. I think that's going to be the catalyst for the equity markets to bottom out. Um, you know, I, I don't think... Um, you know, I, I think that's going to be an indicator that if inflation is under control, the Fed doesn't need to hike interest rates as many times as the market anticipates. So, you know, today's U.S. CPI just came out. I came in at 8.3% year over year. Um, you know, unfortunately, it was higher than the what the market expected, which was 8.1%. But at least, you know, the good sign is that it was lower than the 8.5% reading that we got last month. So, you know, currently the futures 
you know, as it's pricing right now, it's, it's, it's down. Um, so I don't think the market likes it, but, you know, I, I think it is a good sign that, you know, if this continues, it does show that inflation is stabilizing as it needs to stabilize before it moves lower. I think in the meantime, I think investors need to, you know, as I, as I mentioned before, they need to move away from, you know, trying to call a bottom in the equity market. I think what they need to do is one, you know, either mitigate downside risk or start picking away at things that are trading at a fundamental, you know, attractive value. So I think U.S. low vol is a way to, to mitigate downside risk. You know, if you look at ZLU, for example, year to date, it's, it's, it's up 2.9% compared to the negative 13.5% of the S&P 500 in Canadian dollar terms. So this is a good way to manage downside risk. Um, it's a good way to invest in a diversified portfolio that have you know, lower beta stocks uh, than the broader market. U.S. quality is another one we like as well. We continue to recommend this one, even though it's down 18.5% year to date. It's a good way to get you know, a diversified portfolio of high-quality high blue-chip names in your portfolio. Unfortunately, it's been dragged down by the tech exposure in the in the CTF. But when you look at a lot of the tech-related names in this portfolio, you know, as, as Chris McKinney likes to put it, you know, the names in this portfolio are Apple, Google, Microsoft, Visa, Mastercard. They're more consumer staple or more utility-like than than you know your average tech company. Um, so I think ZUQ is a good one to start chipping away at if you have a longer time horizon. Uh, in terms of fixed income, I think. You know, two of the indicators that I'm looking at is the number of rate hikes priced into the market. So currently, when you look at the Bank of Canada right now, it's pricing in eight more quarter point hikes by the by the year end. So the implied overnight rate by the year end is around 3%. So that means, you know, with only five more meetings, that, you know, if the, if the expectations are true, that means we're going to get some additional 50 basis point moves. From my point of view, it's really hard to imagine how expectations could get more hawkish at this point. The likelihood is that the Bank of Canada is going to become less hawkish. And we don't necessarily need the Bank of Canada to become dovish. We just need the Bank of Canada to become less hawkish than what the market is anticipating. So, you know, the one thing we don't know, however, is, you know, how forward guidance is going to affect the shape of the yield curve. So we need to really understand that before we call a bottom to the fixed income market. But a good sign, however, is that, you know, when you look at the yield to maturity on the Canadian fixed income market, so using ZAG or aggregate bond ETF as a proxy, um, yield to maturity is 3.5% right now. Haven't seen it that high in, the, in a very long time. When you compare that to the dividend yield of the TSX, at, you know, the dividend yield of TSX is 2.9%. At some point, if you're an asset allocator, you have to look at that yield to maturity and start thinking, you know, I have, you know, it, it, it's maybe a better option to lock in that yield to maturity and forego that potential upside in equities. I don't think we're necessarily there yet. We are moving closer, however, but we are seeing some asset allocation accounts start looking at fixed income and, and start, you know, dipping their feet into fixed income, which I think is a good sign. But again, you know, as I mentioned before, I think ZBI is a good way to play, which is our Canadian bank income ETF. Um, 60% of this is invested in bonds issued by banks. So naturally, you know, 99% of them have a very short duration. Um, they're all going to eventually mature at par. Um, and then the remaining 40%, as I mentioned before, depressed in LRCNs, um, depressed, all of which are expected to be called within the next three to four years. I was looking at the portfolio, I think, a couple of weeks ago, and the banks are trading at 15 to 20% discount. So if you expect they're going to get called in the next three to four years, this potentially is a fundamental discount 
or a discount to their fundamental values. Um, so yield to maturity on this one is 4.4%. Um, you know, if you were to think that you're going to get 4.4% from the fixed income market a year ago, uh, that would be very attractive. Um, so essentially, that's what you're getting right now. Duration is 2.5. So I think it's perfect for this environment, especially when you look at the discounts to par, both on the preferred side and the, and the bond side of this ETF. So that's a good way to play it, in my opinion. Thanks for that, Alfred. Does market volatility have you wondering where to go to ride out the storm? Not all cash equivalents are created equal, and BMO's money market and ultra-short-term bond ETFs offer several high-quality options to park client cash. To learn more, visit BMOETFs.ca and search for tickers ZMMK, ZST, and ZUS, or read our latest product insights. Let me come to you, Chris, because, you know, one of the things, you know, we're talking to investors out there, a little nervous in the marketplaces. You know, what are some kind of the uh, the cautious ways where somebody can enter the marketplace right now? And you can give me some ideas in that space, please. Yeah, certainly. It's, uh, you know, something that we've been talking about on this call is, you know, make sure you stay invested, stay invested in the, in the market over the long term, and that's what's going to get you where you need to go. Um, however, you know, we also have to recognize that a lot of investors don't have the the risk appetite to jump into an equity market that we have seen, you know, three, four, five percent moves on a daily basis recently. Um, you know, we're certainly, although we're not necessarily calling a bottom, we're saying it's the bottom right now by saying stay invested. Um, you know, it certainly looks like there's going to be some continued choppiness, some continued volatility in the months ahead as well. So. Well, valuations have come down significantly, and a lot of investors do think the market's oversold. On a long-term basis, you're probably okay um, to stay fully invested here or to be fully invested. But for investors with a shorter-term focus and a shorter-term time horizon, um, again, you know, maybe dipping their toes into the market a little bit less, um, um, you know, pro-growth, so, so to speak, um, might might make a little bit more sense here. So. You know, there's a few different ways to do it, and I think you know one one way for investors that are looking at the market and again are expecting continued choppiness, um, but want to be invested and want to have some growth potential in there. Um, you know, the, our premium yield ETF, that pays the ticker, uh, we've talked about a few times on this call, um, is a way to invest in equity markets while 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 still collecting premiums and not being fully invested in the stock market. So right now, the premium yield ETF has about 50% exposure directly to equities and the other half of the portfolio um, sells uh, put options to collect premium and, and generate cash flow in the portfolio. So, uh, you know, a little bit less exposed than a full uh, equity type exposure. Um, this is an ETF that can give you some market exposure, some growth potential, um, but still is a little bit less risky than just um, equities on their own. So that's sort of the first step I would suggest investors might take a look at. You know, if you want that full equity um, exposure, you know, Alfred's talked about ZLU and our low ball suite and the outperformance you've seen from ZLU so far this year, you know, in a down market, it's a great way to be invested in the equity market to have that equity growth potential and still be able to manage that downside risk um, in, in a very, very significant way. So, you know, for investors, again, that are, that are still very cautious, don't want that huge volatility we're seeing in the market right now. That low volatility exposure that I'll use for you as that I'll be as Canadian uh, might be a, a, a smart way to do it as well. 
Um, and then thirdly, you know, for investors that, again, probably do have a little bit longer term horizon um, and understand that it's probably, you know, we're near um, an attractive spot to enter the market for a long term exposure. You know, taking a look at our dividend suite or the covered call suite. Um, you know, these are ETFs that invest in cash generative companies, you know, stocks that grow their dividend over time are stocks that are earning cash flow today, you know, this year, next year, and for the next three years. So these are the stocks that are going to be able to weather the storm a little bit, so to speak, uh, in terms of this repricing that we're seeing. I think overall, we need interest rates to calm down a little bit before you see a huge lift up in the equity markets. Um, and so, you know, for investors that aren't as worried about catching that huge lift off, um, at least not right now, um, you know, you invest in a dividend ETF, ZDV or, or, or ZDY, and I think Alfred mentioned ZDY a little bit earlier as well. These are, again, companies that are generating cash today. They pay out dividends to investors. So, you know, we like to call it getting paid while you wait, right? You're, we're waiting for the stock market to have this overhang cleared um, and for that growth potential to to resume, and that we don't know how long that's going to take. Um, so why not invest in a dividend ETF or even better, a covered call ETF that generates a little bit more premium by by taking some of that growth potential off the table and generating even more cash flow um, to, to get paid while you wait again, so to speak. So a few different ways uh, for investors to sort of dip their toes into the market. Um, and again, it depends how aggressive you want to be at this stage and how long your time horizon is. Um, that, that you're, you're able to wait out any sort of short-term um, volatility, but there's still lots of options for investors to stay invested in the market and, and gain some potential return from that. Thanks for that, Chris. Of course, yes. Get paid while you wait. That's my simple message for investors. Absolutely. Gentlemen, Alfred and Chris, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts today and the views on Marketplace and doing it every week as a team. Much appreciated. I'm going to thank the listeners for joining us again today and looking forward to having you here next week, same time. Um, and we'll give you some further insights on the overall market itself. Thanks again and have yourself a good week ahead. Cheers. Thank you to Kevin Prince, Alfred Lee and Chris McKinney for joining us on the BMO ETFs podcast. Today, we heard about the BMO Canadian Bank Income Index ETF, ticker ZBI, which features short-duration investments that may provide protection against rising interest rates. Our experts also discussed the BMO Low Volatility U.S. Equity ETF, ticker ZLU, which may help to minimize downside risk through a diversified portfolio of lower beta stocks compared to the broader market. For more information about the ETFs discussed in this podcast, check out the episode notes, contact your regional BMO ETF specialist, or visit the new and improved Canadian ETF dashboard at bmoetfs.ca. That's bmoetfs.ca. The viewpoints expressed by the portfolio managers represent their assessment of the markets at the time of publication. Those views are subject to change without notice at any time without any kind of notice. The information contained herein is not and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice to any party. Investments should be evaluated relative to the individual's investment objectives, and professional advice should be obtained with respect to any circumstance. Any statement that necessarily depends on future events may be a forward-looking statement. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of performance. Views from the Desk has been brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management.